Hi there, welcome back to the podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That? In this podcast of the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa, I chat with young researchers about the ups and downs in their research and career. I'm Dani, I'm a PhD candidate, and today's guest is Dr. Ronen Benari. Ronen graduated from the architecture department at Betzelel Academy of Arts and Design, which is located in Jerusalem. He then continued with an MA at the Cohn Institute for the History and Philosophy of Science and Ideas at Tel Aviv University. From there, he went to the Department of Government and Political Theory at the University of Haifa to do his PhD. In his dissertation, he explored the concepts of resistance in the political thoughts of Gilles Deleuze and Michel Foucault as a basis for thinking of possibilities for transformation of social and political order. Ronen was a postdoctoral research fellow at PECLAB, which stands for Planning, Environment and Community, at the Department of Geography and Human Environment at Tel Aviv University again. But I suppose that Ronen missed Haifa, as now he is a postdoctoral fellow at the Minerva Center. Here his research focuses on the city of Haifa at the aftermath of the 1948 war, and what lessons can be learned from the case of Haifa when it comes to the resilience of cities in overcoming a state of war. Next to his research, Ronen teaches at the Faculty of Architecture and Urban Planning at the Technion, the Technical University in Haifa, and his research interests include spatialities of power, contested and shared urban spaces, and settler colonialism in Israel-Palestine. Ronen has co-authored a book with Marcelo Sversky called From Life from Shared Life to Coexistence in Historic Palestine, published by Roman and Littlefield International. And lastly, he is also active with different organizations, especially with regard to issues of human rights and spatial planning. So welcome, Ronen, and thank you for joining me online today. Thank you for having me here. Of course. Before we really get started, I'm going to start with pouring myself a drink. I brought my amaretto again. What are you having? Harak with ice. Harak with ice? Yes. Alright. Also a stronger drink. <laughs> Let me pour myself one so I can cheer. A local one. Oh yeah, that's right. Harak is very local. Can you explain the flavor of Harak? It's part of a family of uh, drinks made from anise, you know, from the plant. Like uh, pastis and ouzo and uh, raki, which are all over the right. Mediterranean. And I know all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cheers. All right, so now I'm ready. I'm going to start with some short questions. First, what do you really need in the morning to start off a productive day? First thing is a cup of coffee, <laughs> glass of coffee, black coffee. And then every day I have a long walk with my dogs in the forest. Multiple dogs? Two dogs. Okay. What kind? I uh, you know, blended. <laughs> one, is a, one is small, a kind of something with a German shepherd, but a smaller thing. And, and the other one is a large, big dog with this kind of a Labrador and, a, and a, how do you call it? Knani dog. I'm not familiar with. I'm not sure what's the English word that for one. that. It's supposed to be a dog like from Knan, the land of Knan, from around here. Okay, another local. 
product. Something like that. <laughs> All right. And then besides your phone, keys and wallet, what do you always take with you when you leave the house? Always? Mm, not much. Nothing, I think. See, women would, I guess, <laughs> say at least their purse with all kinds of things in there. And I was just wondering if there's anything you could think of, but maybe that's it because then your pockets are full. Yeah. I have my phone and wallet in my pocket. I have my backpack, but don't take it everywhere. So it's not always. So you would take your backpack when you're teaching? Yeah, when I go to, yes, out to teach or to walk or to someplace, you know, where it has to do with work. That's one of the dogs, yeah. <laughs> I can hear the dog in the background, yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? I think this actually says a lot about a person. Uh, I have a problem with that because the one I, I like best is the pistachio. Okay. But I'm vegan, so there aren't many vegan pistachio ice cream. That's a shame. So I would go for chocolate. 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 Oh, yeah. Or any kind with lemon. Chocolate is always good. Yes. Lemon? Lemon is also, yeah. <laughs> I think chocolate is always good. Um, personally, the best chocolate I had was abroad. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to get to it again. <laughs> but it was this dark chocolate ice cream that had hot chili peppers in it. Wow. So it was cold ice cream, it but was it was hot. very spicy. It was crazy, but it was amazing. <laughs> Maybe you can try it sometime because you already like the chocolate. Yeah. Then what was your first job? Like maybe when you were a teenager, something on the side? Uh, my first job was to mow the lawns of uh, my neighbors, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first <laughs> paid job I had. And how old were you then? Probably 12 or 13. Okay, so you started working early to get some extra pocket yeah, money. Yeah, just for the pocket money. Not a real job. And then what would you spend the money on? Just candy? Maybe ice cream. I don't remember. <laughs> right. Chocolate or pistache. Yeah. My first job was in a video rental store. Really? I don't think that exists anymore, <laughs> but I swear it was the best thing ever. It was part of the job to watch the movies. So you had to know all the movies you're all recommending. Exactly. <laughs> and how old were you? Um, I started doing that at 16. I babysitted a bit before, but this was more... Of a job, job. Mm -hmm. Okay, what city would you most like to live in? I'm curious to ask you because you're more of an expert <laughs> on urban spaces. I think, think my two most favorite cities, which might seem very different, but still they're the two I like most. One is Istanbul, which I think is one of the greatest cities around. And the other is in New York, New York City, where I used to live for some time and... Uh, I really miss it. So they seem very different and far apart, but I think they're, they both are very kind of intense, very urban, intense urban cities with a long uh, tradition or long history. And I think that's what I like about them. Okay. Yeah. Very different, <laughs> but interesting. I'll consider them. <laughs> I still need to visit New York though. And you've been to Istanbul? I have. Yeah. I, I was actually there for a conference mm -hmm. quite recently, and I love it. It was It's a great city. Yes. All right, so now we've had the short questions. I'm ready to dig in a bit more. 
Before we move with Ronen's interesting journey from architecture studies to a PhD in political science, I would like to remind you to subscribe to our podcast. It is available on all major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Castbox, and many, many more. Oh, and while you're out there, give us a podcast rating too, preferably five stars, of course. We would really appreciate that. Okay, let's go back to Ronen's journey. I was just talking about your path to the Minerva Center and the postdoc. And I was curious, what made you go from the art academy to an MA in history and philosophy and then a PhD in political science? <sighs> Basically, I think that when I started my studies in architecture, I didn't really know what architecture is. It took me some time to decide what I want to, to learn. And uh, finally, I got to architecture, which seemed like a good option without knowing exactly what it means, what it is. And I somehow... Uh, managed to graduate Bezalel, which wasn't easy. It's a long, it's a long, uh, you know, it's a long course. It, it, you have five years of your bachelor. Uh, five years. Five years of bachelor. For the one degree. For first degree. And I did one, I did a year off in the middle. So I finished after six years. So it was a long way. And when I finished it, I realized that I don't want to, to practice architecture which seemed to me very not fitting for me. It seemed to me like uh, to plan and build a house and to make it stand for many years seems something that is very determined, which is not like me. Okay. Can I just ask why you took a year off in between? I think it had to do with, uh, I mean, it's not just about architecture studies. It's more about studying in Bezalel, which, which wasn't an easy experience. It, it wasn't... Uh, And having that, that I didn't really know what I'm getting into. So the first year was very difficult. The second year was uh, much better. But after the second year, I, I thought I had to, to take a year off to think it about, to think again if I, that's re what I really want to, to study and to do in life. So I took a year off. That year I worked in a youth hostel in Jerusalem, basically for kids and youth that uh, were homeless in the streets. And that was kind of a shelter for them. So I tried something totally different, which I really liked. But after a year, I decided that I uh, should come back and finish what I started. Uh, but when I finished, I, I didn't really want to go on with that, uh, uh, with that, uh, you know, course of uh, in life. Because basically, when you finish, it's, you learn a profession and then... What's open for you is to, to go and work in some architectural, uh, architecture office or something like that, which I didn't really want at the time. And uh, then I remember that originally, a <laughs> few years back, I really wanted to study philosophy or history or something like that. So I prefer to go on uh, studying in university and not uh, start practicing architecture. Did you do that straight away? Or did you yeah. take some time off in between? No. I started uh, my studies, I think, straight away after I finished uh, everything I had to do in Bezalel, the final project and everything. I, a few months after that, I started my MA studies in, uh, in Tel Aviv University, in the Cohen Institute, with, uh, which is a very interdisciplinary place. You have, uh, it's 
the title is history and philosophy of science and ideas which basically can be anything almost anything you want and there I studied uh, yeah then I started my my study course in the uh, mostly in philosophy and uh, political philosophy it's begun began there and was there in any way anything related that you in the end find something you could take from your BA and continue in your MA or later in your PhD actually in my in my MA thesis I didn't kind of continue because I did uh, The thesis was on kind of alternative planning about NGOs working in the in the field of planning and on spatial planning in the Negev when uh, working in uh, unrecognized Bedouin villages in the Negev so the thesis was on on their practices there but kind of uh, analyzing them from a, a more uh, theoretical lens a more ethical political uh, perspective so it was about uh, planning so in a way it It continued my my BA studies but it wasn't in planning it was more in a kind of a philosophic philosophical research or something like that which is exactly what you wanted to change to so that worked out yes and then how come you decided to pursue a PhD I enjoyed very much my MA studies so I wanted to pursue that I wanted to go on just studying it took me also a long time my MA studies was also very long because I had to There were very, uh, different courses I had to to complete in order to make this MA in philosophy basically so I had many courses that I had to to take in addition to the MA MA courses and because Cohen is to at least at the time was very they really encouraged you to study as much as you can it's it's like the it was still like an academy of the old times where you don't have to finish quickly and move on to the next stage, but you can uh, take your time and study what you're interested in and take as much courses as you, ma- as you want. And that's basically what I did. So I liked it very much. But uh, eventually I had... Sounds great. Yeah, it was great. But eventually I had to submit my thesis and finish because the academy changed as I was studying and suddenly it became very important that you... finish your studies and move on so I, I, I so I did but uh, I did want to go further to PhD studies only because I enjoyed it and uh, still didn't know what I want to do in life so it, it was like the obvious choice to do continue to be a little <laughs> bit of the eternal student yes <laughs> that's what I like telling people sometimes but it's a bit of an oversimplification isn't it but it was throughout the time I, I remember talking with my MA uh, supervisor who asked me why I want to go to pursue PhD studies what what were my plans for the future and uh, I told him I just want to keep on studying and uh, there was something interesting that I thought it would be interesting to go into in the, my PhD studies and he just made sure that I'm not uh, thinking of it as a career option that I'm not thinking that uh, if I do my PhD studies it will uh, promise me a position in university and And when I told him that's not my purpose, so he said, okay, so, so do it. But as long as you know what you're getting into. I've heard this before. <laughs> it's good to know, though. Yeah, but the thing is that it's, it changes as you go on. Because when I started my PhD, I didn't have any expectations. But as you go on with your PhD studies, uh, you suddenly try to de- uh, start to develop them. 
and start hoping that uh, when you finish your PhD, you will get some work or job or position in university, which is uh, not the common reality now. Can you shortly describe what your PhD was on? It was basically a very theoretical uh, dissertation in philosophy. And it was about uh, the way Deleuze and Foucault are uh, thinking and using the, the concept of resistance in their political uh, thought and their political writings and uh, trying to, through their uh, literature, through their writings, trying to conceptualize what resistance is in the in-power relationships and how through the thought of resistance, we can conceptualize a way of thinking of uh, uh, transforming social uh, order or political order. And I understand that now you're doing your second postdoc in the Minerva Center, it is much more of empirical and some archival work involved. Actually, during my, towards the end of my PhD, uh, I did kind of uh, go back to my original studies towards uh, architecture and, and urbanism and town, and, uh, town planning. And uh, I started... Uh, also teaching in the architecture faculty in, in the Technion and also looking into more research that has to do with the more concrete urban spaces. So this is something I started in my first postdoc in Tel Aviv University. And also now in Minerva, it's more, uh, it looks at the transformation of the urban space, uh, specifically in Haifa after the 48 war, 1948 war. How did you get to the Minerva Center? Did you specifically hear about the center in Haifa or did you see a call for a scholarship? How did that go? I think I saw the call, the call for a proposal for a scholarship for research. And it seemed very interesting, this uh, combination of trying to think of the city in a situation of extreme conditions. And at the time I was already involved in research about Haifa, but more uh, about uh, nowadays Haifa, the nowadays uh, kind of urban planning and urban transformation that goes on in Haifa. But uh, for some time now, when, while I'm looking at Haifa today, of contemporary Haifa, it always uh, was in my back of my mind that to really understand what's going on in Haifa today, we have to look back at its history and the way things developed in the past uh, 100 years or so. So I, I wanted to, to find the option to make a more historical uh, research in order to, to get more deeper into this, uh, the way the conditions of the city, of the urban development uh, evolved. And that seemed to me like a good opportunity to do that in the Minerva Center. Okay, to understand the past, to better understand what to do next. Yes, and what's going on now. So you already started hinting at it, but how is this second postdoc in Haifa different from the first one you did in Tel Aviv? The, the main difference is that the first one, I, I joined a research that was uh, implemented and was thought of by a professor in Tel Aviv University. So she, this is Tovi Fenster, she was also one of my supervisors in, the, in my master's uh, studies and uh, she had a research project going on in her lab in Tel Aviv University at the geography department and I, I joined her team and 
And basically I was part of a research project doing different parts of that. So it wasn't a, a research that I uh, developed and thought of by myself, but more kind of a teamwork with other researchers taking part in her research. What do you personally like better? I do like better the option, the opportunity I have now in Haifa to make my own research, I mean, to pursue something that I thought of develop. It's more, you know, it's not that the research in Tel Aviv wasn't interesting for me, but uh, it wasn't my, you know, now I can do what I'm really interested in, what I want to do. So from that, on the one hand, I like that better, but I did like the teamwork that was more uh, available in Tel Aviv in the, on that time. Because uh, we were, although everyone, you know, worked specifically on different parts, but we did, we could uh, think together about our research, how it combines, how, how it relates one to another, think about things uh, in a group. Uh, so I did like this uh, teamwork, which is uh, less, uh, uh, less available here in, uh, in the Minerva Center, because... Each one is working on his specific uh, interest, specific research. And uh, as you said in the beginning, uh, uh, Minerva Center, most of the research done there is more uh, about uh, legal studies, which is not my uh, main issue. I'm all in the urban studies and the historical research. So, so there are points of uh, intersection or relation, but it's not really... It's not something I can really work on as a team or as part of the team. So. so how would you say your research is going at the moment? Uh, right now, for the past uh, two months, it's kind of a problem with no archives open. Due to the corona situation, of course. Yes, yeah, due to the corona situation. So uh, I had to stop uh, my archival research, with the, which is... a. Uh, kind of the main thing I do at research now. So I use the time more to read the uh, secondary literature and uh, books and uh, stuff like that. But uh, it does have its effect on, uh, on the research. But I hopefully things will get better now. Yes, that's a shame. And I do hope that your supervisor will also understand. I'm sure she will. All right, good. <laughs> Are you also still teaching now during the situation with the corona online maybe or less? I don't know. Yes, teaching is actually stayed as it was. I mean, it's still the same uh, amount of teaching, but all online. So I, I teach uh, through Zoom, which I don't uh, really like. Uh, I kind of uh, miss the, the option of uh, being in class with students. While, uh, while Zoom is working, And I think universities are really, they really like the way it's, it's working. They can continue their uh, schedule as if nothing happened. Uh, I don't think it's really working in a good way or in a good enough way. Right. So if we think, because we're really hoping that everything is going back to normal again soon. Or maybe change for the better. Or change for the better. <laughs> who knows? Let's stay positive. Yeah. If we think about how it used to be for you, was it okay to work or teach while you were doing research? Do you feel that it made it more difficult because you had less, less time for research? Or did you actually benefit from being out there and using 
maybe some of your studies in your field? Actually, I felt it was, you know, it's kind of the, in the way of the research. It's kind of something I have to do because I just have to, uh, to make the, to work for the salary in order to, to provide for the family. So I would prefer, and the dogs, and, the dogs and cats. So I would prefer to, you know, to, to be able to focus mostly or only on research, which is basically the thing that I enjoy more or would like to do more. And uh, teaching, although I enjoy part of it, and uh, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's something that uh, I like to do, not always, not all classes, not all courses, but uh, I, generally I like to do. But uh, I would prefer to, to give more time for research and, uh, than I can. Of course. Yes. That's the eternal <laughs> dilemma. Talking about, talking about PhD, I really, I really miss the time of the PhD where uh, you can focus on one thing and do that, or more of your time can be focused on one thing. And nowadays, you know, I have to focus on many things teaching and research and publishing and uh, all kinds of things. So in that sense, I, I really miss the PhD time. Publishing, of course, that's what it's all about, <laughs> but only, or usually once you have the PhD, right? And nowadays, I, th I think it's changed. You, you're expected to publish already during your studies. And, uh, and I have- I feel the pressure. Yeah. And I think the pressure is even now on uh, MA students to publish their, their study, their research already. So students are expected to be admitted to PhD studies already with publications. So I think uh, it's getting worse all the time. I have to step up my game, I hear. <laughs> that's not why I'm, what I meant, but uh, yes, that's what, no, that's, all right. <laughs> that's the system now. Right. Talking about publications, you've co-authored uh, the book From Shared Life to Co-Resistance in Historic Palestine. Yes. And what's that like to write a book? Uh, it's on one, uh, on the one hand, it's very enjoyable because you got to, I wrote the book with a colleague, with a friend. And although he lives in Australia, he used to live in Israel. Originally, he's from Argentina, but he used to live here. So we had like a face-to-face -face meeting only twice a year, maybe, when uh, we wrote the book, but we used to communicate in different and other forms. But the book is basically based on, uh, or originated from a long, no, uh, years-long discussions between us. And uh, so the opportunity, the possibility to think together, to write together, to discuss things that are interesting for both of us. Uh, so this is very, I really enjoy that part. So it's very, this is something I, I really like to do and enjoyed it. Uh, on the other hand, it's, uh, you know, it's a stressful work. It's, uh, it's a long project that uh, goes on and uh, has many, you know, you go over and over the text uh, where you can no longer see the differences, but you know you have to make the differences. So it's a, it's a long process, which I couldn't have finished without Marcelo. I mean, I don't think I could have done it by myself, not at that time, at least. So it's both things, but uh, basically I, I enjoyed it and 
I'm really very pleased with the, uh, with the outcome. We should recommend everyone to go and read it now. Uh, okay. It is interesting. It's an interesting topic. Yes. I think it's interesting. But uh, talking about publication, you know, there are so many things published and I think most of them nobody reads or very few people read them. So it's a pity. What do you think could be the added value of a book over publishing articles? I think that the, the most significant added value is that you can, uh, you know, we can develop wider thoughts and uh, arguments in a more uh, comprehensive way. I think many times in uh, articles are, you have to cut many things in order to fit into the structure of what you expected and the way you expected to write. So I think for me, bo uh, the book worked more, better in order to make a more complex and uh, wide uh, argument, which would have been needed to, to cut in kind of slices in order to fit to, to articles. On the other hand, when I'm trying to apply for uh, positions or postdocs or things, so at least in Israel, in Israeli universities, uh, books are less considered. They, have, uh, they don't look at books as they look at the articles. So, uh, really? Yeah. So, so I can get the, uh, the response that a book is a waste of time, which should have been uh, given into publishing more articles because that's why they count. And again, this is part of uh, the faults of the uh, academy right now. But uh, if, if we're talking about a uh, suggestion to PhD students, so maybe they should concentrate on publishing articles first and then go for the books uh, when they have the time and possibility to do that. But this is something I don't really believe in. So <laughs> You don't have to recommend it. I know. <laughs> There are different kinds of recommendations, you know. A recommendation what you should do in order to 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 be successful in the, in applying to places, and a recommendation what I think you should do should do in order to enjoy your academic life. It's not all all the time the same. It's not always the same recommendations. That's a very good tip. You need to also enjoy it, yes. right? Mm -hmm. When you look back on your journey to the current postdoc. What would you say are your biggest achievements? The biggest achievement? I would say completing my PhD, which is not an easy task and not something that all, all along the way thought I could uh, complete and accomplish. And I'm glad I did it. And I think the, this co-authored book is another achievement, which I think is, uh, again, because... I enjoyed the process and I quite satisfied with the outcome. I'm very I'm pleased with it. So I think it's a good thing that uh, I'm I'm happy I did it. Uh, so I think this this would be the two achievements, main achievements. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'll have another zip to that. Thank you. And what or who supported you most during this journey? I think my family. First of all, my spouse and wife. Inat, who was uh, with me all along the way, and even if she lost interest along the way, so her support was, uh, you know, it changed along the way, but, but still she, she was supportive, and my daughters who grew up along the way, 
and uh, accepted that and supported in their way. And my parents were very supportive, although not all the time very pleased with the, <laughs> with the way I did things. Would they have rather seen an architect building buildings? <laughs> They didn't support that in the beginning too. I mean, they weren't, probably would have uh, from the beginning maybe liked a different course, but uh, they did support every choice and uh, thing I did in a way. So I can only thank them. Wonderful. Would you have done anything differently now you look back at it? Don't you think sometimes, oh, I should have listened to my mom? <laughs> It's a difficult question because uh, I don't know. <laughs> It's not about just course of studies or the academic course, about life, if we would have done anything differently. So in life, generally, I'm, I don't regret anything I did. But I do think that uh, I could have made better choices along the way in the academic course of line. So maybe I did want to go to study my PhD abroad, outside Israel. And I didn't insist on that, I think, enough. I think it would have been a better choice, a better thing to do. This is something I would recommend to any student in Israel or anywhere, I think, to, to change the, the environment, to change the place, to change the point of view. I think for me it would have been better to study elsewhere, at least part of my studies. And I think the PhD phase is a good place to do that. To have the experience... To have the experience, to have uh, different point of views, to have different uh, ways of thinking, to be open to all kinds of uh, different uh, perspectives, uh, to open to new ways or to think about things or to new research interests. I think it's, it's a good uh, thing for everyone to do. So without almost any regrets, <laughs> <laughs> what are your plans for new projects and... What are you going to do with that? That's even a more difficult uh, question, especially nowadays, and especially taking into consideration the condition and the situation of academy today in Israel and not just in Israel. So for me nowadays is to really reconsider everything. I mean, I'm not sure that after this, uh, when I finish this, scholarship and this postdoc position in Minerva, I think I have to reconsider my uh, academic life. Or uh, For the past few years, I have tried, you know, to, to find a place in academia to go on with research and to find a position. And as time goes by, uh, this is a thing that I'm not sure I can really hope for anymore. Taking into consideration my academic course, my age, my, uh, uh, the possibilities open, or the, the options that there are out there. So I, for sure I can keep on teaching. That's a thing that I can do. But uh, as we said before, just to teach and have no options for research is not a really thing that I, I'm sure I would like to carry on doing. I am reconsidering all that right now. So maybe I will have to leave academia and uh, try to think about other options in life. Or go back to other things I used to do, but I kind of left behind and maybe it's time to go back to that. Well, like we've said before, it might be a huge change, just like the corona did to us. Yes. 
but it might bring some positive things. Hopefully. Good changes, uh, I hope, can be for the better, not just for the better. All right, let's keep up the spirit. <laughs> yes. That was the last difficult question, though. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. To close the circle, I just want to ask another few short questions. Mm -hmm. The first one is, what was the most important conference that you've been to for you? I think the most, uh, I think, I don't know if important, but most enjoyable or most interesting conference, I think was a conference in, in Athens, like uh, two years ago, which was a conference about, I don't really remember the title, but it was something to do with the revolutionary space, uh, urban spaces in the Mediterranean, something like that. And most of the people there were uh, from the region, mostly from Greece and, uh, and Turkey, actually, and some other Mediterranean state, uh, countries. And I think what was very good about it, it was a small conference, which I, I like better, uh, comparing to the... Sometimes you have like huge conferences with uh, thousands or hundreds of people attending, which is very hard. For me, I find it much less... Uh, productive or interesting or uh, successful. So it was more like a large workshop or a small conference with dozens of participants. And it was both academics and uh, political activists. And uh, the issues that was were raised there had to do with the immigration around the Mediterranean in the past year and uh, all kind of urban uh, movements and urban transformation taking place in uh, cities around the Mediterranean. And uh, also the topics and the overall vibe that was in this conference was, uh, for me, was, uh, I think, the best one I attended. Did you present there? Yes, I presented a, a research I, I've done with a colleague on Haifa, uh, on nowadays Haifa, not, uh, not historic. So I presented there. And they also heard many good talks from others. Nice. Which scholarship was difficult to get? The most difficult one was the one I didn't get. So, uh, <laughs> Right. I think for me, I don't know, maybe the Minerva one was the one, from the one I did get, was the most difficult one. But uh, I applied for many and uh, many more than that I didn't get. But you have to try all to get one. That's what they say, but uh, you can't, <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't know that for sure. So would you advise to keep trying or to stop trying? I know it's getting harder and harder, you know, because the opportunities are, uh, I don't know if there are fewer opportunities, but are, for sure there are many more people that are applying for each uh, scholarship or each opportunity or each position. So if you look at it like uh, in a percentage-wise, the, the odds are uh, getting uh, smaller and smaller. Uh, so, yeah, you should uh, keep on trying, but, uh, but be reasonable uh, and know your, your odds. Fair enough. What do you consider to be your most important contribution to the field? Ah, to the field? You know, in my, in my case, it's hard to say what the field is, but uh, I think that in our book, there's an important contribution to the way to think about uh, what generally is called, uh, you know, the Jewish-Arab conflict. 
or, or more specifically the field of uh, the settler colonialism study of of, uh, of Palestine, the way to study Palestine as a case of a settler colonialism. And I think we have the, uh, an important contribution to this field the w- in the way we should think about what life was there in Palestine before the transformation that the Zionist movement has brought to this area and to think about the possibility or the real shared life that uh, were that were here as a possibility of of living in Palestine before uh, Zionism and maybe through that to think about uh, possibilities what that we have to the future it does sound important I hope so <laughs> who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished Wow mm. or maybe there is someone that you look up to I don't know if something I mean I have a friend and a colleague who is a, she did her master's and PhD degrees in the Technion. Uh, she also studied architecture in Bezalel, but uh, not with me, a few years after me. I mean, she's younger than me. And I think that in her, uh, in her course of studies, of academic course, she, she really manages to to make these uh, intersections and between uh, architecture and uh, wider way to think of things in a more uh, political way, in a more conceptual way to think about architecture. And uh, until now, she manages to do it very, I think, in a very good way, also in her research and writings and also in accomplishing like uh, things that are more uh, countable like uh, scholarships and uh, things like that. So now she's doing a postdoc in uh, Zürich and she managed to to get few scholars, few very distinctive scholarships for that. So I think she really manages to make her uh, like academic course in a good way that is also working for her, but also very interesting, I think, for her. She really finds interest in what she's doing and I think that's uh, that's really impressive. Definitely. Yes. All right, then I got to the last question. Okay. How do you relax after a hard day of work? Recently, maybe because of the corona situation, but not also. We look as a family, just look at uh, all kinds of uh, things on TV. Recently, it's community, you know, that uh, series. No. So that's... It's a series on TV, now on, on Netflix, and we watch a few episodes every other day. So I think that's the best way recently to, to relax and uh, do something together. It sounds healthy <laughs> and like what most of us are doing these yeah. days, Netflixing or at least watching TV. Yes, so I can, re- I can recommend community. It's very good for that. <laughs> All right, thanks for the tip. <laughs> And also thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story with us. And I also want to say thank you to the audience for coming back again and listening to the episodes. Stick to this link where you found it so that we can share the next episode with you as well. All right, Ronen, you said that you had dogs and now we also have cats. <laughs> yeah. How many cats do you have? Two cats. Two dogs and two cats. Are they fighting? A lot? Uh, no, 